Secret Satan. A seasonal murder mystery in 24 episodes. Written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 20 Richard, can I have a word? Sweet. Come on in. Make yourself at home, said Balls. But not too at home. This is my office, after all. <laughs> Just kidding. Have a seat. I closed the door to Ball's office behind me, making sure I visibly checked outside to see who was watching as I did so. I wanted to talk to you about what you said before, I said, about the situational awareness. It's a fluid and unpredictable situation, yeah, said Balls, who hadn't yet looked up from his computer. We have to stay focused. There's something that's been bothering me, I said, or rather, someone. OK, OK, said Balls, finally turning to look at me with interest. This is a safe space. I'm listening. Feel free to communicate. Thank you, I said. Uh, this does make me uncomfortable, to be honest, because I am technically his manager and everything, but it's Radu. Radu, said Balls. The freelancer, I said, sits opposite me, bald, wears black. Uh, the guy, said Balls, finally remembering the person who'd been sitting literally right outside his office door for the last two months. Right, yeah, yeah, I thought he was uh, interesting, you know, a person of interest. He's been behaving a little weirdly, I said, which was, in my defence, true. Even weirder since, you know, Tony, which was not. If anything, Radu had, not unsurprisingly, calmed down considerably since the man who had been relentlessly bullying him had been killed. Yeah, right, said Balls. I get you. And you think that might be because he had some involvement in the Tony situation? Look, I, I don't know about these things, I said. But some of it seems like drug use to me, you know? Mood swings, weird little things, just, just shady, you know? You have my attention, sweet, said Balls. This is what I was talking about. You, the team, bringing me, your leader, your problems to solve. So what should we do about it? I admired Balls' problem-solving approach of asking the person with the problem to solve it for him. Textbook management. Well, this is going to sound weird, I said. But we can't do anything without proof, can we? So I was going to su suggest that, that, that we... Follow him? Try and see what he's up to. Proactive, said Balls. Radical. Risk-taking. I like it. Yeah. Let's do it. Great, I said. It's 5.20 now and Radu always leaves dead on time. If we go now, we can wait for him outside the building. Got it planned out for us already, sweet, said Balls. This is my kind of teamwork. Dickie's idea of teamwork was evidently someone else doing everything and him taking the credit. But then, that's precisely what I wanted from this little escapade. Anyway, he didn't know the half of what had been planned. He followed me out of the building and across the road to a doorway just opposite our lobby. We had barely got there when someone came out of our building after us, dressed entirely in black. Black sweatpants, black hoodie, with a hood up over a black baseball cap. There, I said, that's him. Come on and we set off after him down towards Spitalfields Market. If Balls had chanced to look back over his shoulder at that moment, 
he would have seen an almost entirely identical figure, all in black, but a couple of inches smaller, coming out of our office behind us and turning in the opposite direction. The actual Radu, running for his train from Liverpool Street because Sue had delayed him for a crucial couple of minutes with irritatingly trivial questions about his code. I really need some prose equivalent of split screen for this, don't I? And possibly a Lalo Schifrin soundtrack. The man in black that Balls and I were following ducked into Spitalfields Market. The main market hall was filled with stalls, and the stalls were thronged with Christmas present buyers, everyone shuffling from counter to counter, sorting through bins of antique postcards, fingering trays of rings and bracelets, trying on ill-advised hats. The man in black dodged and twisted through the crowds, disappearing into the queues around the food outlets and reappearing in our peripheral vision on the other side of the hall. I was quickly regretting telling Lem, which is who it was, to give Balls a run for his money. He was enjoying himself far too much. Then we were out on the other side, across Commercial Street and down the narrow alley of Puma Court, which I had correctly imagined would give Balls a properly sinister East End thrill. We popped out into Wilkes Street and immediately popped back into the shadows again. The man in black was standing right there on the pavement, leaning in at the window of a vintage BMW 1602 that Balls absolutely did not know belonged to Ned. Some kind of deal, I said to Balls, as I wasn't entirely convinced that he was capable of figuring out the meaning of our little pantomime. The driver of the car handed the man in black something and drove away, and we were off again across Hanbury Street and down Dray Walk, round the corner and through the alley onto Brick Lane, with it taking all the willpower I had to walk past Son of a Stag and not to stop to gaze longingly at vintage Japanese chore pants. Brick Lane was thronging already with the usual mixture of hipsters, tourists and tourist hipsters. Outside of 93 feet east, the man in black accosted a couple of young women in ludicrous vintage hats, who Balls would have instantly recognised as Edie and Alley if he had ever paid more than cursory attention to his staff. The man in black reached into his pocket and handed them something, and they thanked him and went back inside the bar. Look, he's dealing, I expositioned to Balls. Then the man in black turned back towards us, crossing the road towards the Truman Brewery. I grabbed hold of Balls's arm, holding him back lest we be recognised, and the man in black dashed ahead of us, up the road, nipping suddenly into All-Star Lane's bowling. Balls went to run after him, but I held on. There's no other way out of there, I said, trying to think of ways to give Lem enough time to change out of the black tracksuit. We can't just go charging in there. We don't want him to see us after all. Good call, sweet, said Balls. These are good managerial skills. I was slightly alarmed that Balls thought that a good manager would stalk their employees and interfere in their personal life. But given that that was to our advantage right now, I decided not to question it. You go in and have a look. I'll stay out here and make sure he doesn't slip out, I said. Keep it subtle, though, eh, Richard? I waited outside for 15 minutes, resisting the impulse to go and see if Rocket was still open so I could have a rummage through the vintage cardigans, and finally Balls emerged crestfallen. No sign, he said. He's not in there. Never mind, I said. At least we know where he's going to be. Do we? At work, I said. Tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, just as his contract says. You have been listening to Secret Satan, a workplace mystery presentation in 24 slides, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. 
Our music is Holiday Weasel by Kevin MacLeod from filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lanman, who you can find at jamielanman.com. Our Christmas stories are on Spotify, YouTube and Substack and you can find links to all of these on our website, christmasstories.co.uk or you can subscribe on your podcast app. Wherever you listen, please take time to rate and review and make sure you don't miss the next episode of Secret Satan. Secret Satan